this series we've been in is we've been talking about how we love our church. And we've been looking at this family, this construct of individuals uh, spread throughout all kinds of life circumstances, uh, growing up in different neighborhoods and cities and even nations as we look around the room. Uh, Looking at how only in a place like the kingdom of God could a group of people like this come together, not just to be a part of something, but to be a family. And we've talked about what that means as we live towards holiness, that we are set apart, that we're not like everything around us. This isn't like any other group that's around us, that there's something different and unique about God's people when we come together. And today I want us to look at what it means to being a unified church. The problem is, if you were to look around, and this isn't just new over the last couple of years, but it's not gotten better, the church isn't always known for being unified, in case you haven't noticed. We, we have a bit of a different reputation in some places. Uh, unity may not be our strong suit. In fact, so much so uh, that people will reorient their lives to be around people who are more and more like them, that think like them, that look like them, so that they don't have to deal with the struggles of unity when we live in a diverse culture. If you'll remember, in 1960, a preacher gets on NBC, meet the press, and said, I think it's one of the tragedies, one of the most shameful tragedies of our nation at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. That's why we end service at 11, so we don't have to be a part of that at Marine Valley. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) The preacher was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. giving a a well-poised perspective that what so many of us forget at how bad we tend to be at some things that are so foundational in biblical truth. Research has shown that people in recent years are more and more, uh, sorry, more and more self-proclaimed Christians are more shaped to a political ideology than biblical teaching. More Christians are shaped by their politics than by scripture. And we see the divide widen. For a growing number of Christians, truth and facts are subjective to how we feel and what we think, which means biblical truth is no longer the trustworthy truth for so many. Not only that, you pull up your app on your phone, whichever social media jam you go with, and the algorithms are designed to keep people going deeper and deeper into whatever rabbit hole the user has a bias towards. What I mean is, it's designed to pull you away from a broader idea and put you just steeper into whatever sinkhole you tend to go into. That means you're only being confronted with more radical content day by day. And it's subconscious, and we don't see it, but it's marketable and it's profitable. People make money off of dividing, of making us afraid, of making us worried about the other. Getting people locked into silos and echo chambers is profitable, and the world around us knows it. I read this term recently, uh, and we might be diagnosed with it, some of us, is the idea of a purity death spiral. Sounds ominous. 
The idea is this, is that the downfall, it's the downfall that occurs when people become competitive in their victimhood, zealotry, or purity of their views. Now, what it doesn't mean is that their views are pure, but that they dismiss everyone around them in pursuit of people who agree purely like them. The idea that they'll just kick people out of their circles and places and churches because they don't line exactly, not kind of, or in the ballpark, or even like in the theological confines, but exactly like them. We live in a polarized world, disunited by every possible category. The worst casualty in all of it is when it hits the church. And in large part, the church ends up mirroring the disunity in the world around us. This summer, we were preaching through Jesus' final words before he goes to the cross. And hours before he goes to the cross, here's his prayer. For us, the future church. John 17, verse 20 says, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, meaning his disciples that were there at the time, but also for those who believe in me through their word. For the future church who only know Christ because those disciples went and preached the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation who kept it going and spreading and moving far apart. Isn't it wild? I don't know how many thousands of miles we are from that geographic area of the Mediterranean. But it's crossed oceans and language barriers and continents and countries and people groups and skin colors. The reason why we get to be here today is 2,000 years of faithful disciples sharing the gospel. And Jesus says, for those that are only going to know me through these people spreading the word, he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. That the world's going to know that God sent Jesus by the way they see unity in the church. So play it backwards. If the world doesn't see unity in the church, what are they going to think about Jesus? Jesus is praying that we would know the kind of unity that God experiences, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when the world sees a church that's united together like that. Because they're united to God like that. They can believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah sent by God. Can we ask ourselves a soul triage question about ourselves, church family? Is it possible that the disunity in the church is contributing to the world's distance from Jesus? Verse 22, the glory which you have sent me, I have also given to them so that they may be one as we are one. That is a packed sentence. Jesus says, the glory that you've given to me, I'm giving it to them. We've got the glory God gave to Jesus. He gave it away. Why? So that we could be one. Not so that we could be right. Or the same. But there'd be unity amongst who we are. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity that there'd be a completion we don't arrive to. There's a fullness of the Christian life that's only possible in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them just as you love me. Jesus has given us his glory. The Hebrew word is kavod. It literally means 
to be heavy. There's a weight, an identity, a significance. So Jesus has been given this heavy glory from God, and he gives it to us, and he tells us why. So that we can be one just like God's one. And that we could be perfected in unity. Without unity, we're always a missing a part of who God is. You can't live the Christian life alone. When the church is unified, the world will know that God sent Jesus, and the world will know that God loves the church just like the Father loved Jesus. You get the power of all this? It's in unity. Verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be with me where I am so they may see my glory which you've given to me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. That should stir something in you. Jesus is asking beyond the unity among us here, he's asking that, the God, that God would unify the church with him where he is. Listen, church, Jesus wants you with him and where he is is unity. And if the further we are from him, the more disunified we become. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But what we can, what can tear the church isn't from the outside. Jesus' one prayer that we hear for the future church is for the future unity of the church. I think Jesus knew the only thing that could possibly tear this thing apart is us. And he prays. Not that we would kind of like each other or tolerate each other or hope that we've found a group of people who believe everything we believe to down to the like minute detail that in heavens they're trying to figure out why we care about. That we'd be one in Christ, that Christ would be enough, that Jesus is enough. We need to be unified believers to make up a unified church. We can say we're a unified church, but if we're not unified people, that's not true. So when Jesus prays, make them one as you and I, Father, are one, that is what we compare ourselves to. I want us to look at a few things. Why do we love our unified church? The first one is this, to bring all the diversity together in unity. To bring all the diversity together in unity. Not just to make it all the same, but to take everything that's different and unify it. Not uniform, where it all looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, right? But where it all looks the way we all look and sounds the way we all sound and comes from the experiences that we all carry in the neighborhoods we all grew up in that brings all of that together to be able to form this unified thing around Jesus that offers perspective that none of us alone can carry, but it takes all of us to see it wholly. This sermon point isn't particularly about race, But in the midst of conversations about race over the last few years, we've heard people say, or maybe we've said it ourselves, I don't see color, as though we don't notice diversity. I want us to look at this. God created color and personalities and weird laughs and different abilities and all kinds of ways of serving and so many different variables in each individual person, yet God made all that diversity in his one image. The church is a place where we get to celebrate how different we are, but how unified we've become. Because we know that it's not possible on anything this earth can offer. It only comes through Jesus. Paul begins 
In 1 Corinthians 12, by mentioning his the, the different holy the different ways the Holy Spirit shows up in people's lives for the common good. In verse 11, he says, All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So he jumps into spiritual giftedness and the way the Spirit shows up in each of us individually. That God's going to show up in your life different, right? Or or with different expressions than the way he's going to show up with somebody else. Uh, My wife and I are wildly different human beings. The fact that we're in the same house, let alone the same church, is a miracle of God. I could wake up, leave the house, and be around 50 people until I go to bed at night, and I'm happy. She needs two weeks break if that's her reality, right? Ray enjoys the quiet. I enjoy the noise. Uh, There's different things in the way uh, that God has used me to serve that are different than the ways God's used Ray to serve, Ray would be terrified standing on this stage, and I get a little antsy in one-on-one conversations. Because the Spirit of God has gifted each of us different to serve in different ways, to love in different ways. Multiply that by an entire Moraine Valley church, and look at what God can do with the diversity of giftedness that he's given across this entire body. The issue is rarely how diverse the giftedness is, the issue is, are we willing to offer that in together to create something beautiful? In this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, Paul describes the church like a body. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. You get it? He's trying to make sure we get the distinction that it's not all the same. The one body is the same, but it's made up of all these individual things that aren't the same. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but it's made up of many. In the church, we may be all kinds of different, but because the spirit of God, we form one unified body. But that one body is unmistakably made up of unique diversity. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, keep going. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He's not letting us get away from it. Look around at how different this room of people are. But we're all one. We're all different, but we're all unified. God's design wasn't was to arrange so many unique people together in the church. If, if we were all the same, we wouldn't be a body, we'd be just a big toe. Right? Thank God for all the big toes out there. You get the image? I, it, it, I'm, I'm like the worst biology student known to man. My wife will use phrases, and I don't know what it means or where it goes, Uh, In my mind, it could be a car part. I don't know, right? (laughs) When you get into anatomy and physiology, some of you, that's your field of study. That's the place you work. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable outside of a brilliant creator that something so unique 
and diverse could all work together with all kinds of personalities and all kinds of differences as the human body. And this is thousands of years ago when they didn't have microscopes to look at all the, 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 the smallness of what we can see now. And still, the more science goes, the more it proves how incredible it is, how different everything is that works together so that the body does what the body's supposed to do. Some of you have issues in your health, and there's parts of your body that don't work, and you feel it. Am I right? In this body, it's no different. When we're missing stuff, we feel it. When things aren't working, we feel it. When stuff's out of alignment, we feel it. Chapter or verse 24 says, But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, read it. If one member is honored, that means your wins aren't just your wins. We're all winning with you. We're rejoicing with you. We're celebrating with you. When the Findas walk in with a one-week-old baby, we celebrate that. That's what we get excited about, right? But at the same time, when you bury someone you've loved deeply, you're not just mourning alone. We're all mourning with you because we're one body, and all of us are members of that one. God put the church together so that every part supports the other parts. Our giftedness, the way the Holy Spirit shows up in your life is needed in this body because without you doing it, we're missing it. It's where we start understanding this is not a Sunday event center where we put on a really good spiritual show and hope you gain something out of it by the time you leave. And if not, go look at the hundreds of churches around and shop till you find one you like. What this is, though, is this is a body. It, it's a family. It's a place where God has knit all of this together so that when we all bring what we've got and how the Spirit shows up through us, here, here, we get to love the kind of church where we get to be a part of because when I suffer, I don't suffer alone. And when I've got something to celebrate, I'm not the only one cheering. I get to show up to a place where we've got four boys who have who have dozens of people who are walking with our family to disciple those four boys because we have people who are gifted to serve in areas that build them up, which builds us up, which builds us up. That's what this is. It's when we chip in, we start to see what God blesses out. Romans 15, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement, all right, how many of us need some endurance and encouragement? But the God that's going to help us make it, let him grant you to live in such, read it, beautiful word, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer is this, that God would allow us to live in a different kind of harmony with one another. We heard it this morning on stage. 
different voices, different ranges, different notes to make a unified voice that glorifies God. There's something about harmony that's unbelievable. Especially when you're someone like me who doesn't know what all that means. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to produce it. All I know is that I like it. There's difference when it's just one person talking versus a room full of like this singing together with all the things that make us different, that bring us all together in a kind of harmony that uses the differences unified to give one voice. Why? So that God gets glory. So that God gets glory. Not on your own, but together in harmony with us we give God glory. While the world around us is sorting themselves into neighborhoods and friendships, living environments that look just like them, in the church we are celebrating the reality that God made us different and gifted us different and he unites it all together. Now let's look at what unites us. The second one is this. Why do we love our unified church? Because it helps us to know that Jesus is at the center. That's not wrong verse, or wrong uh, slide, sorry. It helps us to know that Jesus is at the center. Asking it this way, how do we know Jesus is at the center? One of the ways we know that is whether or not we're unified. Because we can be unified around a lot of things. But Jesus is what we're looking for. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How are we to walk? With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Pay attention to verse 3. Some of us might need to get this one written down somewhere. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager. Say eager. eager. That sounded a little bit better. Eager, eager to maintain the unity. Do you get it? That there's a wantingness in here to make sure that there's a oneness here. That we want this to be centered on the throne of King Jesus. We want this to be unified to him, to be unified together around him. Walking this Christian life takes humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. No wonder Jesus prayed for it. It seems like a miracle. Are we eager to maintain the unity we have in the Spirit of God that is possible as we're bound together in peace? Is that something you want enough to strive for it? This is what we need to work towards. We should want unity so bad that we will eagerly work to maintain it. He goes on and says this in verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you get it? It's Him. And He's everywhere. And He's doing all of it. We need to be united around Him. Because if you're united around the bears, it's a rough season. If you're united around politics, you will be upset every four to eight years. And listen, because it's real, it will toss you back and forth like the waves that Paul's about to talk about, where your wellness 
is determined by who's sitting in a White House in Washington, D.C., not by who's sitting on the throne of heaven. Your joy will be shaken by what's going on around you, not the Spirit of God who is in you. There is one body, and you've been unified to the whole of Christ's body. There is one Spirit. If you want to know if Jesus is the center of our connection, at the center of our participation, at the center of our belonging as a church, then look to see if our common united bond to Jesus is what allows all these differences that could keep us separate, that it would bring that into the background as we walk in a way worthy of the calling we've received in Jesus. Everything else is peripheral. Jesus is at the center. Everything else doesn't matter, or it doesn't matter as much. It's not worth bringing up. It's not worth raising my voice. It's not worth getting that like hot neck thing where you can tell you're frustrated because you're talking to someone who doesn't believe the same thing you believe. Are we talking about Jesus, or are we talking about anything else? Paul's reminder is, We're centered around Jesus, not anything else. Not unified by social status, economic class, race, politics, music preference, sports teams, thank you Jesus. Social preference, cultural trends, we're unified by Jesus. In his words in John chapter 13, where he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, when we love each other in the way that Jesus has loved us, that's how people will know Jesus is at the center of our unified church. How could people so different be together so tightly? And the only testimony we've got to give is what? Say it louder. It's Jesus. That's it. Nothing else. Couldn't be anything else. If it was anything else, we'd be splintered off and divided already. We need a church unified together around Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior. Third and last one is this. Why do we love our unified church? To build each other up so we won't be carried away. so that we'd be constantly building each other up so that none of us would be carried or drifted away. Keep going in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 13 was until we attain the unity. God gave the church different kinds of giftedness in each believer, so what do we do? We equip the other believers in our church family for the work of ministry, literally for serving. Ministry is not limited to the people who are on staff positions or elder roles. Ministry is dictated and called into by every part of the body of Christ. We are a priesthood of all believers. Ministry is what we do. We serve each other because of Christ in us. Building up, literally, the word is constructing a building. Uh, This has got blue-collar roots to it. 
It's about the actual work it takes from the foundation to build up a structure, a people, a dwelling. In the church, we are working on each other, building this body of Jesus. We are told what we're building towards. We don't stop building the church up until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all reach full maturity. Anybody there yet? If you are, there'll be an altar call at the end. You probably need prayer, right? (laughs) Or you should be preaching. Maybe that's the other one. The point is, we're not there yet. The bigger point is this, we're not going to get there alone. We need this. We need each other. We need a united church who's building us up so that we can attain and reach that full maturity until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's where we're aimed towards, is building each other up so we become more and more like Christ Jesus. We're a good church family, but we're not there yet. So we keep using everything the Spirit gives us to equip each other for the work of serving each other, to build each other up until we get to the unity of the faith and knowledge of Jesus. But there's a purpose in our unified building each other up. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Kids, that's not a knock on you. So that we aren't so easily led to whoever wants to lead us. Gives this image of a boat or a ship in the middle of waves that's just getting tossed back and forth by the water. The boat doesn't tell the water what to do. The water tells the boat what to do. And without the maturity that's used by the building up of all of us together, whatever's going on around us is going to throw us wherever it wants to throw us. Meaning everything around us dictates our foundation, not the Christ in us. Together we build up the unity together so that whatever's going on around us doesn't shake what God's built together here. Carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, when we are not unified around Jesus, using all our diversity to equip and build each other up, we will get swept away and carried off by anything that sounds good. Untrue teaching about God, human salesmanship, the plans to deceive you. Satan is coming for you. He's coming for us. And a church united together around Jesus and each other that is building each other up in faith and understanding of Jesus, that is our way forward. It's not to hunker down on anything other than Christ Jesus on the throne who's been here, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, who ascended in heaven, and he's coming back. That's the hope we need. And that'll sustain us as we go forward. He goes on and says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. Grow up in every way. Not into self-righteousness, not into thinking we're right and everyone's wrong, but into Jesus, who is the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, there's the key. When each part is actively working properly, 
when we're all pouring in together, when there's not squeaky cogs on the wheel, when we've understood that this isn't an option for the church, this is central to the church. That makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's not just about maturing, but maturing in every way into being like Jesus. He's the one holding the church together. When we each, diverse person, this unified church is functioning correctly, when we grow and develop, we build ourselves up together in love. How do you know that you're growing to become more and more like Jesus? You are unified with a church family and the Spirit centered on Jesus, equipping and building each other up to be able to handle whatever adversity comes our way. Don't forget, Jesus promised us the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But he also prays to make sure we don't prevail against ourselves. That there's a unity in here that Jesus has prayed for, that he's asked us to uh, strive towards, to maintain, to be energized, to do it, that there's a motive for us to make sure that unity matters. There's an image I want us to wrap up with. I want us to look at this uh, picture of some broken glass. Because for a lot of us, when we think about it, if you were to think about it, if you were to meditate on it long enough, if you were to slow down and process your life, if you were to go back and remember who you used to be, or maybe for some of us who we still are without Jesus. There's a brokenness, there's a death. The sin in our life breaks everything down. It shatters our lives and affects everyone around us. The world we live in is broken, and so are the people around us. But God doesn't leave us that way. He takes what is dead and broken of our lives and skillfully puts it together in a way, go ahead and show the next picture, that takes all the diversity of gifts, all the abilities, all the personality, all the culture, all the ethnic backgrounds and racial types, he takes all of it. And instead of putting something together that just kind of looks about as good as what it did before, he takes it and builds something so beautiful with all the differences that when his light shines through us as church, what the world sees is something that's pretty unbelievable. Because we couldn't do something like that on our own. But it's only in Christ do we get to see something so beautiful because of the diversity that's been unified by a creator who put it all together. That's why we love our unified church. Because in here, we get to see a human version of something more beautiful than this. He takes the uniqueness of it and puts it together in a way that only Creator could. He builds something beautiful, His church, His bride. Revelation gives us a beautiful throne room vision of heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. I started doing word studies on all that because I thought it would be really impressive if I could walk you through that. Here's what I realized as I was doing the word studies. 
All John's doing is taking this idea, all the ways that you could distinguish people from all parts of the world and just saying they're all represented here. Everything that could make us different is all gathered together in one throne room. Get that image? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Read it with me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Unified church. Singing that song together. Building that kind of unity. Loving each other in that kind of way. Building each other up so we don't drift away from that truth. Maturing us together so that that's what we live towards. We've been singing this song together uh, for a couple weeks now. And, um, and we were talking about it a couple weeks ago and sometimes we sing these songs that are, 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 have biblical connections that if we don't make the connection, sometimes we sing the line and we move forward because we like the part that comes next and we, we forget sometimes the connections and how it all pieces together. In the song, Make Us One, there's a part where we are singing this. We've sang this, so whether you believe it or not, that's up to you, but we've sang this, that we confess all our offenses we confess that we've been afraid. We repent of all the pride and let all the hurt be washed away for all the wars and violence against our enemies. Here's the line. Come heal our land with your great river. Restore the family. And we can sing that line without stopping to think about that. Man, this image that we get that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 47 of He's walking around the temple and there's water just flowing out of it in all the different directions. And as he follows it, he gets to one side and there's this trickle coming out that keeps going. And he's led not just to look at it, but to get in it, to get his feet wet. And as you read Ezekiel 47, what you'll read is uh, he keeps getting led further into and downstream. He's staying in the water that's flowing out of this temple. And as he goes, the water gets deeper. So as I was at my ankles, and then it got up to my knees, and then it was up to my hips, and it kept getting wider as it went deeper, and all of a sudden, my feet couldn't, get, couldn't touch, and I was swept up in this river from the temple. But then we find out what the temple, or what that river is doing, this, this water flowing from God, the presence of God flowing out into all places, as it ends up in the Dead Sea. And what he sees is something that no one's ever seen before, is that it's only possible through the presence of God flowing out into all creation. In a place like the Dead Sea, he says there's trees. If you've ever seen the Dead Sea, there's no trees. And they're growing and they're producing all kinds of fruit, and it's spreading all kinds of life. There's fish in the water which is impossible in the Dead Sea, but it's not possible because of what it is, it's possible because of who's flowing into it. Church, when we sing this, what we're singing, what we're asking God to do when we say, heal our land with your great river, we're saying, God, would your presence flow from your temple? Would you sweep us up in it as it goes out into the dead places of the world around us and brings life where there's naturally only death? Revelation 22 verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle 
of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the trees which were healing of the nations. You get it? From the throne of God is this river. Don't forget that Jesus reminds the woman at the well that he is this living water that offers eternal quenching. That through him we're going to be fine. That as the presence of God flows out from where he is into the places we live, if we're in that, we get to see what God does. It's him that heals, not when people believe like you believe or think like you think, but when the Spirit of God touches and moves through and carries us with it into all these areas, that is what does it. So will you stand and sing with us?